That, um, that song gets me every time, you guys. That was my great-grandmother's favorite song, and she would hum that, apparently, as she would go through the house cleaning and, and everything, and it's just amazing what some songs do to you. I apologize for not being up here at the right time. Uh, um, I was just thinking about that song. Uh, you guys, today we're continuing in our series. And I know that what's on the back of everybody's mind is kind of the, the, the fear and everything that's going on in our, in our nation, and the, the, we see a lot of panicked behavior and everything like that. Um, I'm going to ask everybody to kind of set that aside and focus on what we're talking about today. Um, I believe when we put this sermon series together last year that God knew exactly what was going to happen on this date. This is not a surprise to him, and so uh, what... What uh, he told me last year when putting the year's preaching calendar together for March 15th was going to be exactly what we needed to hear. We approached that in faith. And so I want everybody to kind of set aside all of the concern, everything. And by the way, thank you for being here. Um, that, that It is so blessed to see you guys. Um, even, it, it, it's very encouraging to see one another. It's very encouraging that you guys are here. Very encouraging because there's so much... Just, just worry and fear. So it's really encouraging, not just to everybody around you, but to me as well. Um, but today, like, like J.K. said, the main thing is the adventure never happens for those disconnected from God. So we're going to talk about being connected with God today. Uh, the night before Jesus was betrayed, he gathered all of his uh, disciples around, and he said, by the way, I'm going away. And if you think that there's panic out there, you talk about panic in that room. The, 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 the disciples just panicked. What are we going to do? We've been following Jesus for three years. What are we going to do? And Jesus said, whoa, hey, whoa, time out. If you knew why I was going away, you would be celebrating. And then so, Jesus, what are you talking about? He says, because when I go away, there's someone that's going to arrive to be not only with you, but to be in you. His name is the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7 through 11, Jesus says this, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because the world, I'm sorry, about, about Sorry, I lost my place. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So when Jesus went away, he said the Holy Spirit, also known as the Counselor, the Comforter, would be within us. See, Jesus was with us, but the Holy Spirit is in us. Okay, big difference between being with somebody and being in, okay? The Holy Spirit is going to live, take a permanent residence inside of us, and he's going to do three things. What, what, what Jesus said, the first thing he's going to do is that he's going to convict the world of sin. That's, that's, a, that's his first action. He's going to convict the world of sin, okay? The Holy Spirit works in you to tell you, hey, you're going off the path here. That was wrong. You need to repent of that. Holy Spirit is doing that. A student once asked his teacher, Teacher, does God punish us for sin while here on earth? And the teacher replied, only if we're lucky. Only if we're lucky. We wouldn't know what sin is without the Holy Spirit working within us. You say, well, we have the Bible, and, and, and yes, we do. Praise God that we do. But you know that the Bible itself says that even those without, the, without it still knows what sin is. 
In Romans 1.20, it says, For since the creation of the world, the God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what is being made, been made so that people are without excuse. It is the Holy Spirit that walks daily with us to keep us on the right path, convicted of sin. It's a blessed thing to be called on our sin, you guys. It's a blessed thing to be pointed out to be brought to light, this first work in our lives, if somebody says, well, I don't, I don't want somebody looking over my shoulder. I don't want somebody judging me. I don't want somebody always telling me that what I'm doing is wrong. Well, to that person, I would say this. I remember a time when uh, I, I was first starting to work on cars. Got any shade tree mechanics in here? I'm a shade tree mechanic. Anybody here work on their own cars? Okay. All right. Very cool. Uh, I was a youth minister at the time, and I had two kids earning nothing. And so I had two options when my car broke down. I either fixed it myself or I started walking. Those were my two options. And so I decided uh, to, to start fixing cars. And I remember the first time I tried changing my timing belt on my 1988 Nissan Maxima. All right. I made so many mistakes. And even though I had a manual to follow, uh, because I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I can remember as I was working in there how amazing it would be to have somebody there telling me or helping me. Hey, uh, you might want, want to do that. You might not want to force that bolt. You know, that would have been nice for my knuckles. Uh, you might want to use a different tool on that one. Uh, hey, don't use that hacksaw on the steering wheel. You know, it, it would have been nice to, to, ha to know what I'm doing. So many of us go through life making so many mistakes, you guys. So many mistakes, screwing our lives up, bad decision after bad decision, when we have the Holy Spirit within us, convicting us, telling us this is right and this is wrong, and that's why I said it's a blessing for him to convict us, convict us of our sin, because we're going to royally screw things up without him. The second thing that, that the Holy Spirit does within us when we have that connection with God, he first of all points out our sin, draws us to repentance. The second thing, though, is that he points to the righteousness of Jesus. Don't miss this. Because it's not, it's, like, it's not just enough to point out what we're doing wrong. He has to point us to an example, to a vision of who we should be. Of who we should be. Uh, we need a vision to strive for, an example to follow, his wisdom to lead us. And he points us to Jesus all the time, how we live, his greatness and his glory. He does this not only for the example, but also for when Satan tries to guilt us into the things we've done, the things the Holy Spirit convicts us of. See, this is what Satan does. When the Holy Spirit does his good work and says, hey, what you did was wrong. Hey, you shouldn't have lied to that person. Hey, you shouldn't have done this. Hey, you shouldn't have hoarded all the toilet paper. Okay? All right, that's, that, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of that, the, uh, Satan comes along and says, see, see, even the Holy Spirit thinks, what you're, thinks you're wrong. And a matter of fact, two years ago, you did the same thing. And three years ago, the same thing. And th four years ago, the same thing. And he, and he does that. He, he twists the work of the Holy Spirit to try to get you to wallow in what the things you've done is wrong. So what the Holy Spirit does, he points you to the righteousness of Jesus and what Jesus did, saying that your past is completely gone. It's completely gone. Don't let Satan lie to you and say that you're the sum of your mistakes. No, I'm pointing you to the righteousness of Jesus. Yes, you're a sinner, but I'm pointing you to the righteousness of Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. That's the second work of the Holy Spirit. Be humble enough to allow the Holy Spirit to point you to the example of Jesus because you're not smart enough to do it yourself. I'm not. You're not either. All right? Most of us really screwed things up in life trying to do things our own way. If I, took a, if I had asked for a show of hands right now, how many of you all have royally screwed things up by trying to do things your own way? I mean, if I, I, I mean yeah, absolutely. Man, what a bunch of sinners. Man. No, amen. But, uh, you know, that means we've got a great God. Amen. Amen. And so allow the Holy Spirit to point you to the righteousness of Jesus. 
Stop trying to do it your own. Follow his example. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's always calling us to look at the example of Jesus. Look how he lived. Look how he responded to this situation and act accordingly. And the third thing he does is my favorite. I love this. This is what gets me fired up. This is what I couldn't wait to preach this morning. I was ready to preach this on Friday, you guys. Okay, this is what he foretells the defeat of Satan. That's what he does. That's the third. It, it, it says that the prince of this world now stands condemned. He says this. There are many times, you guys, where it feels futile to be a Christian. Many times. You know, the world's just going down the tubes. It's useless to serve God. Uh, I've tried following Jesus and gotten nothing but trouble for it. Does this sound familiar? I get made fun of at school. I get passed over for a promotion. I get all kinds of garbage for following Jesus. It'd be so much easier just to be a good person. Can't I just be a good person? Well, this is what the whole, those thoughts enter our heads from time to time. The Holy Spirit does this. He says, hey, his third action is to remind you that Satan is captain of the losing team. Never forget that. He's the captain of the losing team. Christ wins. His church wins. The Holy Spirit constantly tells us, don't join the losing team. Okay? Christ is victorious. Don't quit. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says about Satan's future. And those who follow him, it's not pretty. So be encouraged. He points to the defeat of Satan in the future. Don't fall for the lies. Don't fall for the quick and easy. I kind of feel like Yoda talking to Luke. And Luke says, Vader, is the dark side stronger? Yoda goes, no, no, quicker, easier, more seductive. That's what he says. Three actions of the Holy Spirit within us, you guys. He convicts us of our sin. He points to the righteousness of Jesus, and then he foretells the, the, the future judgment of Satan. I love that. I remember being a kid reading the Old Testament one time where God spoke directly to Moses and to King David, and I thought that was really cool. And I, and I thought to myself, I remember feeling jealous. What was it like to have God directly speak to you? I remember asking that. Well, here's what King David and Moses would ask us, Americans living in 2020. This is what he would ask us. That's what they would ask us. They would say, what is it like to have God living inside of you every day, every second? See, see when, when we heard from God, that was like a little itty-bitty minute. In our 70-year lifespan, maybe we got two minutes. We got maybe two minutes of God speaking to us. Man, what is it like with God living literally inside you, speaking to you all the time? Is it awesome? Is it amazing? And probably most of us will look like, oh, I don't know. Because, see, the Bible tells us why. It tells us that we as people can actually stop the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Do you know that? The Bible tells us you and me, frail, mortal, you know, panicky people can stop the work of a holy God. It says that we can do two things. We can actually stop the power of the Holy Spirit. The first thing we do, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve. Everybody say grieve. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? What causes this? Well, in the verse prior to that, Ephesians 4.29 and Ephesians 4.31, it tells us how. The first thing that we do to grieve the Holy Spirit is what's called unwholesome talk. 
unwholesome talk. Ephesians 4, 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only which is that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That's what it says. Unwholesome talk grieves the Holy Spirit. When you and I speak to each other in ugly tones, when we uh, gossip, when we, when, we, when we tear each other apart with our mouths, that grieves the Holy Spirit within us. There's been a lot of coarse talk, a lot of and I understand where it's coming from. When people get scared and people are, are nervous, they tend to not be the kindest of people. And I had a lot of that directed towards me this week by, by people, by wonderful people that are just scared. They've asked me what's going on and they didn't like this decision or they didn't like this or they didn't like this and I've kind of been the, 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 the brunt of that. Well, guys, the, whole, the Holy Spirit says don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That grieves the Holy Spirit, Okay? Let's, let's, let's guard our mouths so we don't grieve and stop the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The second thing it says is that bitterness, in verse 31, bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit of God and stops his power. Bitterness is a resentful spirit that refuses to be reconciled. This isn't something being temporarily angry at somebody. That's not what this is. Bitterness is a long-term, unresolved issue in your life where you cannot let go of something. Bitterness, it grows up and it destroys the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Now, I don't know if it's towards a family member, towards an ex maybe, towards a pastor, towards a parent, towards a child. I don't know. Or, or one of your adult children, whatever it is, bitterness grows up and it destroys the power of the Holy Spirit within you, okay? Bitter people are never thankful. Thankful people are never bitter. What I found about bitter people is this, is that some people just aren't happy unless they aren't happy. That's what, that's what bitterness is. You literally can't be happy unless you're unhappy. You're happy about being unhappy. That's the only time you're happy is when you're unhappy. See how, how senseless that is? But that's what, that's what the Bible says will destroy the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, guys, who do you need to forgive today? Forgiveness destroys that bitter root that grows up in your heart. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to let go? Let it go. Because your bitterness is destroying the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And we don't want that. Uh, the, the next thing it says is that rage and anger grieves the Holy Spirit. If you are an angry person, and everybody heard somebody say, uh, well, I'm just an angry person, this way I am. Well, you know what the Bible says causes anger? Not getting what you want. If you say, well, I'm an angry person, you're admitting you're a person that can't handle not getting what they want. If you, if you look at an angry person, you see someone who's angry, I will show you someone that didn't get what they wanted. Well, that sounds a little strange. It's kind of crazy. Rage and anger. Okay, all of us have been hurt in life, you guys. Every one of us has. And all of us have, quote unquote, right to be angry sometimes. I get that. We have a choice as to how we deal with what's happened to us. Okay? Uh, the, the, the next thing that, that the Bible says is that brawling and slander, so fighting and insulting others and running down other people to your friends. It says every form of malice, planning evil, planning revenge. These are the things that destroy the work of the Holy Spirit within us. So I want you to think of your heart as a home, okay? A home for the Holy Spirit. And all of these things, the, the unwholesome talk, the, the bitterness, the rage and anger, the brawling and slander, every form of malice, I want you to think of those like things that mess up your house, okay? When, when, when I was in youth ministry about 20 years ago, uh, we went to a crack house. 
to go clean it up. The people have been evicted. And uh, back then, we didn't, we didn't know that, that meth and everything cooks into the boards and the floorboards and, and everything. It probably was not very sanitary. We didn't have masks or anything. We went into this house to go do a service project and clean this house out. And I wa- remember walking in and the, 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 everything about it. You can just imagine what it looked like. There was animal waste and their torn up carpet and dirty mattresses and clothes piled in a corner and smelled to high heaven. It was the most disgusting house I've ever walked into. And I began, and as I walked in there, I just thought to myself, Lord, is this what you see when you enter my heart? Does my heart, which is going to be your home, is, 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 that, is this what I look like to you? Is, is my heart so full of these things that this is what you see? I, I remember being grieved as I walked into that house because somebody had to live there. We found little dolls. There were little children living there. That grieved me as a, as, as a person. And I wonder if that's what the Holy Spirit feels when he walks into our hearts with all of this stuff in it. Well, the, uh, the good thing is, is that he begins to do surgery and begins to take all that stuff out like we did. We carried out, we ripped up carpet, we ripped up subfloor, we ripped up everything and, and we repainted and it was a week-long project and by the time we got done, it looked so different. And I thought to myself, Holy Spirit, is that what you do when you come in? You find our hearts that way, full of anger and rage and malice and, and unwholesome talk and you just clean it all out. Praise God, amen? Amen. That's exactly what. The second thing, that, that, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Second, we can quench the Holy Spirit. Quench the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. Well, how are we able to quench the Spirit of God? How do we put out his fire? There are two things. I want you to remember this. The first thing is this, by using him to excuse our sinfulness. First thing we can do is we can use him to, to excuse our sinfulness. You say, well, Dave, what in the world are you talking about? Well, here's something. The Holy Spirit doesn't contradict Scripture, you guys. Okay? Holy Spirit doesn't tell you something that the Scripture says something else on. Ladies, the Holy Spirit is not telling you to go sleep with that married man at the office. Okay? I've actually had somebody tell me that. Okay? It doesn't matter if he gets you or whatever. That's what, that's what was told to me. All right? Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you to do things the Scripture does. And I talked with a guy just a few weeks ago that said the Holy Spirit was he- leading him away from church. I've heard things like this, and it's always put in such holy terms. Oh, it's always such holy terms. Holy Spirit's telling me to go serve. I need to go feed the homeless. I just need to go around praying for people is what, what I've heard. Uh-huh. And I said, um, and this can only be done Sunday morning? Not Sunday afternoon, Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, Friday afternoon, all day Saturday. No, what, what, was, what was going on? And, and, and I, I said that. He goes, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I got to do what the Holy Spirit tells me to. And I said, well, the Holy Spirit tells you in Hebrews 10.25 not to give up meeting together. That's what it says. Holy Spirit isn't calling you away from the church. If you're leaving the church, man, that's on you, but, but don't, don't use the Holy Spirit to justify that. Right? Second, we quench the Holy Spirit by having an unwilling spirit. This is something I see a lot. An unwilling spirit. 
Uh, Jesus told us in John 14 that those who follow him will do what Jesus did. It says that, if you, if you don't believe me, John 14, 12, uh, it says that he, who, he or she who has faith in me will do the things I've been doing. You'll do even greater things than me because I'm going to the Father because you'll have the Holy Spirit within you. That's what the Bible says. And so the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to lead you to greater things than even Jesus did. Some of us have simply become good at saying no. We have an unwilling spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes up to you and says, hey, this is the opportunity I have for you. This is, and you're like, uh, no, I'm good. And he does it again. You say, no. does it again. No. And you just become very, very good at saying no. An unwilling spirit quenches the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. In, in your life. But the adventure happens for those walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, since, since we know now not to quench and not to grieve the Holy Spirit, this is what happens when you are not grieving or quenching, but when you let loose and the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of you and he, be, he enables you to live powerfully. The first thing we get is personal results. I love this. Personal results. All right, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, we talk about this all the time. We'll continue to talk about it all the time because this is the mark of a Spirit-filled person. For the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the mark of a Spirit-filled person. You think the world needs people full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, <coughs> Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? I think so. I think so. When the Holy Spirit floods your life and, and, and empowers you, you demonstrate those things to greater and greater degrees. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I think right now is a time for the church, for Christians to stand up and lead. What if <clears throat> an unsure unbelieving world saw people in church full of love and joy and especially peace right now. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of wisdom. Full of peace and patience. Kindness. Self-control in a day like today. You think that would stand in contrast to what we see in the world today? I think so. Right now, the darker the world is, the greater the opportunity for the church and Christians to lead, to be the example. Church, we need to be in the forefront, leading with the, with the things that Jesus, uh, that, that the Bible tells us to do here. Right, so you have personal results. As the Holy Spirit takes over your life, you begin, to, you begin to manifest those things more and more and more. And that is one of the biggest goals of Catalyst Christian Church. We want to produce people here that are full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's our goal because that's the mark of a spirit-filled person. The second thing that we see are what are called kingdom results. Not just within us, but kingdom results. I love this. Romans 15, 13, listen to this. This is awesome. May the God of hope, hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You think this world needs people who are overflowing with hope? This world needs hope. Need to, be, need to be given an eternal hope of Jesus Christ. And so when we live by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have hope to offer this world. 
I love this. In 1 Corinthians 2, 4, Paul says this, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul said, you want to know how I became such a great missionary? You want to know how I led so many people to Christ? You want to know how I wrote Scripture? It wasn't because of my wise and persuasive words. It's not that. It was because of the power of the Holy Spirit living within me. And that's what this world needs to see. Well, so what is a demonstration of Spirit's power in today's time? Well, I'll tell you, I love this. Whenever you want to know what to do with a current crisis, look at how the church has responded in the past. You guys think this is the first sick episode, the first epidemic, first pandemic ever hit, hit humanity? No, uh-uh, not at all. In A.D. 260, St. Dionysus, describing when a plague hit Alexandria, wrote this. This is 1,800 years ago. The Christians... Listen, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing in themselves and sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains." He goes on, many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their place. The best of brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of the presbytery, uh, deacons, and laymen went in condemnation so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. What did the church do? They fearlessly went and cared for the sick when no one else would. That's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Demonstration of the Spirit's power. I wonder what kind of things the church can do today. We know that, that COVID-19 is especially uh, uh, deadly to the elderly. What if some people here could run to the store for them, get their groceries, get their medicines? I wonder if... Uh, if we could serve people with immunocompromise, uh, I, I know that there's a little baby who was adopted who has Down syndrome. Down syndrome had a, had a heart problem as well, very immunocompromised, a little foster baby in this, in, in, in this church. I wonder if we could somehow take care of that baby. I wonder if we could get groceries, we could go serve. See guys, this is the ch- chance for the church to demonstrate the Holy Spirit's power in this day and age, not by performing miraculous healing. If that's your gift, go do it. But if not, you can go serve. You can love. I've seen a post on Facebook, hey, if anybody can't make it to the grocery store, somebody's worried about your kids being home, you depend on the, the, the school meal for your kids, hey, let me know, I'll, I'll bring by some food. I'll bring by some, some bread, some peanut butter and jelly, and, and some cereal and stuff like that, just let me know. Why don't we do that, church? Why don't we do that? Why don't we step up and lead with a demonstration of the Spirit's power? And then the last thing I'm going to leave you with, how should we live? How do we demonstrate the Spirit's power? How do we live connected to God, demonstrating fruit of the Spirit? How do we live in an age that is, that, that is fearful and panicky? Well, I will leave you with this. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. C.S. Lewis was asked a similar question. How do you live 
in the era of the atomic bomb. When he was, when he was uh, uh, doing his writing, uh, the, the nuclear bomb, the atom bomb had just been invented, and there was a lot of fear and a lot of panic about that. And he was asked, and this was his response, and I think it has a great significance for us in 2020 today. He said this, In one way we think great too much about the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, the same as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia uh, might land and cut your throat at any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors and aesthetics, which we have still. But it is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added just one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are to be destroyed by an atomic listen, if we are to be destroyed by the atomic bomb or by coronavirus... Let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe could do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Those who are connected with God live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We use wisdom, but we also lead with courage. Church, it's time that we be a steadying force and a voice of reason in a, in a world that's lost its mind. Let's step up and let's lead. Let's be influential in this community. Let's show this world that when we follow Christ and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live as Christ, to die as gain. Let's go out in that power. Let's go out in that connection. And let's go out in that love. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father.